that's the one you don't want to get bashed with too hard. Uh, I want to get straight into it this morning because my notes are a little bit like that bus that's on the move there. They're fully loaded. There's lots of stuff hanging off the edges, lots of stuff scored out, uh, and it's a bit rough looking. So uh, there's a lot to get through, and it's not, it's not intense. It's just uh, a lot of stuff that I've been reading through in the last couple of months. So disclaimer, this is by no means new or by no means all mine. But it's just stuff that I have really felt has helped me in my walk where I'm at um, right now this minute. And I think it's really valuable as um, family on a mission that we actually learn what it is, um, learn what spiritual warfare is. And so uh, what what I'm going to preach about this morning is the ultimate fight. Um, This is the first ever sermon I've done in America, and it's the first graphic I ever had made. So I just keep reinventing the sermon so I can use uh, use the graphic and not have to get one made up. But really, it's the ultimate fight that we are born into and called into when we are born again. And uh, what I say this morning is not to give us fear. Really, it's to prepare us for the battle. It's to prepare us for what we've entered into. When you say yes to Jesus, you actually enter into another realm of battling. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, most of the mistakes I've made as a Christian have been like an overzealous, um, you know, teenager or whatever. Have you ever gone out on a date and you know she's so good looking and you're so young and you go all into it and you're like my goodness I love her she's amazing but next thing you don't really calculate in your head she's a wee bit crazy you know what I mean and so nobody's had that not me no I married you it's okay so sometimes the devil loves an overzealous Christian because you know what happens they go in with a head rush and they're just like I can do everything for Jesus I can conquer the world but actually they're still drinking milk they haven't been grounded spiritually. They haven't got a solid foundation. They haven't been built up right. They don't know what it is to live in community. They don't know what it is to have accountability. They don't know what spiritual warfare is. And they get smacked down and they usually don't get back up again. Do you know anybody like that? They just get zealous for a season and then boom. And so part of what I want to go through this morning is a bit of consistency with spiritual warfare. And where else do we read about it but in... Ephesians chapter 6, I would urge you this morning to take a notebook out or to take your phone out or to take your iPad, whatever it may be, and note things down. Because a lot of these things are things that I have written down out of other sources that have really helped me. It's not my words, it's other sources from other writers. And so I really encourage you to write it down. Just to put you into the, um, the time frame or the context of Ephesians 6, the book was written, and believe it or not, it's not written solely to the church at Ephesus. It was a letter that was sent around all the churches. There were baby churches. They needed help to grow. They needed health to get, or help to get strengthened. And so the book, the main theme is about unity. If you want to be a strong Christian, you need unity. You need other people to do this journey with. And you need other people to fight the battle with. It went from unity to consistency. It's no point in being their friend for a day. It's no point in reading your Bible for a day or praying for a day. You need consistency within your walk with Jesus. And finally it finished, and I think this is a real key. It finished with, and with this unity and with this consistency, you then put it into practice in your family home. And at the end of saying unity, consistency, home life, it said finally, finally, Let me talk about spiritual warfare in the middle of all that. Because when you have unity, when you have consistency, and when you're being a man of God, a woman of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, an aunt, an uncle, whatever it is, if you're being that within your home with unity and consistency, battles are going to start happening. And so in Ephesians 6, I'm going to read it from the NIV. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on action, free will, choice 
put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms or under the heavens. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which the shield of faith, take up the shield of faith, pardon me, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With all this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Love that passage. And let me read it from the Passion Translation. It's a wee bit shorter. It says this, Now, my beloved ones, I have saved the most important truth for last. Be supernaturally infused with the strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of the explosive power flowing in and through you. Put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demons and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides so that you're protected as you confront the slanderer or the devil. For you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. Put on truth as the belt to strengthen you to stand in triumph. Put on holiness as the protective armor that covers your heart. Stand on your feet alert and then you'll always be ready to share the blessing of peace. And I love verse 18 says this, embrace the power of salvation. That means hold it tight. Hold tight the power of salvation's full deliverance. Like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies and take the mighty razor sharp spirit sword of the spoken word. So in this passage, it says in one of the translations, acquaint yourself with the armor. Get to know. And again, it's where I started this morning. I think the Christian army is the only army that really don't take seriously having a battle plan and getting ready. We just go in, all guns blazing everywhere. We don't have a clue. We haven't trained. We haven't thought. We haven't got grounded in the word. And it says, acquaint yourself. There's a reason that he says, put on the armor. We're told to acquaint ourselves with salvation, with peace, with faith, with truth. What do these mean in the battlefront? We need to get to know our enemy's strategy. Because in this passage, it doesn't say, and and actually, I think this is the first time in my life that I've read it in this context. It doesn't ever once say, advance in my name. It doesn't say, go back. What does it say? It's okay, you can participate. It says stand. You stand. Over and over, it says stand. Stand firm. We're not called to push forward, but we are called to stand firm. When all hell is breaking loose around us, at the end of Ask Jason to sing a song, I've been singing over and over. This is how I fight my battles, it's called. And the verse says, it might look like I am surrounded, but I am surrounded by you. 
in the midst of the battle, we're called to stand and take the ground. And why? It doesn't just leave it there. We are called to stand because of the cross. The victory of the cross defines who you are. It defines who you are, and we should live in that new definition of who you are. In verse 13 of, um, of chapter 6, it says that we um, are destined for all. And the original translation says, after he conquered, thus you, you stand in victory. And so it is not our job to fight the battle. It is not our job to push forward. Now, I'm not talking about passive Christianity. We are still called to be evangelists. We are called to be teachers, preachers. We are called to bring the word of God and display the glory of God. But we are not called to fight the battle. And don't take that wrong because we're going to go on later on and tell you why. We are not called to fight the battle alone. We are called to stand firm. And in that way, we push back because the victory has already been won. We are called to stand victorious, push through, break through, keep going, and use the explosive power that the Holy Spirit has given to us. And so if you were back in the church of Ephesus, you would know that, um, so nowadays, the devil's not real. The devil's not real. God's not real. The whole world's gone mad because the devil doesn't exist and God doesn't exist. And he is loving it. He wants us to believe that. But if you were a believer in the church of Ephesus, you would know very well that there is other powers out there except from the devil or except from God. There are other powers out there that can change things, that can do things, that can supernaturally do things that we don't want them to do. It was very real. Ephesus was the church whenever um, they all got saved. There was over a million pounds worth or dollars of books on witchcraft and paganism. All the different stuff was burnt in the middle of the city. Because people finally found the real true source of life. And so they knew darkness and they knew light. They didn't have to be told. But I think in our day and age, we need to realize we are not in a battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. Whether you believe it or not, whether you fight with me or not, we are in a battle that is not of this world that sometimes people can see, but we can't see most of the time. So we're to stand victorious. But Colossians 2 verse 15 says this of the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them by the cross. He made a public spectacle of them. And you know what's been happening ever since? The devil's on the offensive. Have you ever been in a a context where you're trying to be smart and someone puts you down? You fight back. like You're on the offensive because you don't like it. Can you imagine the greatest victory of all time? Do you think the devil's going to sit down and leave it at that? My answer is no. But I wrote this down this week, and I love it. We, the church, are the enforcers of his triumph. We, the church, are the enforcers of his triumph. We stand victorious with our lives to say, he conquered sin and death on the cross. He defeated the enemy on the cross. The story is really over because Jesus Christ has won and our lives are to declare that glory and so the enemy comes against those who are a threat to him now there's a whole other sermon with the way you live your life with the choices that you make out of free will things will happen because of the choice you make if you choose to eat a mcdonald's every day you're going to get big and large it's a choice you make 
If you choose to drink alcohol every day, it's going to become an addiction. If you choose to watch Netflix every day, it's going to do something to your mind. Those you spend the most of your time around, you become alike. And so there is choice in the matter. But what I'm talking about today is if you're loving Jesus, and if your eyes are fixed on him, and you're chasing after him, yes, you're still a sinner, you still make mistakes, but in your heart, you're like, God, I want you. And I want people to see the glory of your, your son through me. And so I want to tell you this morning that if you're not a threat, if you're a passive, you're already in the enemy camp. If you're a passive, if you're not a threat, you're already in the enemy camp. Now don't misinterpret that as you're not saved. I am saying that you're already standing one foot in the enemy camp. If you're a passive to the things of God. You know... Many of times when I'm driving in the car, actually probably 10 times a day, Joshua, Daniel, if you don't annoy him, he'll not annoy you. Seriously. And then sometimes you have to, you know that where you threaten to stop the car? Some of these days I'm going to let them get out of the car. But it's the same in the doubt. You don't annoy him. Quite honestly, he doesn't annoy you. Because you're passive and you're no, doing no damage. Maybe you've lowered the bar or the expectations of what you think God can do. Maybe you've lowered your expectations of the power of God in your life. Maybe it's because of a Christian that's hurt you. Maybe it's because you've prayed something and it hasn't came through exactly when you wanted it to. Maybe something's happened in your life that because of that you throw that onto God or your image of God. And I want to just tell you this morning that your past experience doesn't mean you should be passive. It doesn't mean your hope should be low. It doesn't mean your expectations should be low. And I know that's easy for me to say. But as I read through Psalm 23, it says this, even though, even though I walk through this valley, even though I'm standing in the middle of this battlefield, you are with me. You protect me and you comfort me. And it's changing my mindset. And we're going to talk about that now. We're to continue to press towards the goal, which is Jesus Christ. And you know, life is full of mountains and valleys. And Whenever you face a valley, that is where the foundation and the truth of who you are comes out. That's where the rubber hits the road. But I want to suggest this morning that it also comes out on the valley tops. And we'll talk about that. But as we're talking about past experiences and the battles that you're going through, James Gall, he's a great writer that I've been reading recently, he says this about our um, battles and attacks. We have to use redemptive interpretation. I know it's a big word, but let me explain it. Redemptive interpretation. It means this. Instead of milking the things that go on and say, oh, woe me, pity party me, I'm fed up, God, I'm out. Here's what he says. Redemptive interpretation. When you're facing a battle, when you face the same common enemy, this is what you say. I redeem it according to the high standards of your word. How did Jesus win the battle in the, in the wilderness? He used the word of God. And so when I'm facing a battle, when something's happening and I don't understand, I can't comprehend, I'm going to say, God, because I'm in this, I know this, and I'm going to see what your word says about this, and I'm going to redeem it from your perspective, from your viewpoint. I'm going to redeem it from your word, not what my mind says, not what my family might say, not what the world says, but what you say to me. Does that make sense? We need a redemptive interpretation of what we're going through. That's why it says gird up. That means literally lift your dress up back in the day. 
get yourself ready, but stand firm. I will not be moved during this battle. We need battle plans. We need to be prepared. We need to be intentional. You need to know your triggers. What triggers you into a place of depression? What triggers you into three months of not going near the word? What weaknesses do you know that you have? What weaknesses do you know that you have? I love chips. And I know if I go near them, that starts a spiral in a circle. But in the spiritual realm, in the place of sin, what do I know triggers something to make me weak? Be intentional. Know your triggers. Know your weaknesses. Know your enemy. But most importantly, know your Father God. And it says in 1 John 4, 16, we heard this a couple of weeks ago, experience your Father God. Ask him, how can this be redeemed, what I'm going through right now? And so when the enemy comes, it usually comes in a place of sin, of thoughts, of habits. And quite honestly, it starts with a small thing. Can anybody relate to that? It starts with one little small thing. And when you do that one little, little small thing, you have that week curly whirly on a Friday night. You've been so good all week. And you know what? You're like, what else is in the cupboards? And you end up just eating. Is this just me? You end up eating everything. You know, the, the, the even healthy stuff. You just pile it all in because you're like, do you know what? I've started now. I may as well finish. And that's the way the devil gets me with sin. Does he get you with sin like that? One thing and you think, do you know what? That's it. I have failed. I'm back to square one. Nonsense. I may as well just keep going with the thought pattern, with the habit, whatever it is. And it becomes a cycle of sin. And do you know what I've realized in the middle of it? Half the time the devil isn't even in it. It starts with some trigger, and in the middle of it, my free will, my choice, my habits, and my mindset of an or- as an orphan pulls me away from the truth of the redemptive interpretation of the Word of God. He does not want us exercising that abundant grace that has been given to us. He doesn't want it. And so James Gall says this again. You're standing in the middle of the battlefield, You may be standing in an army or you may be standing alone. But are you just going to stand there waiting? Are you just going to wait and see what happens? Are you going to do something about it? Are you going to allow yourself to take the upper hand? And so really what I'm calling us to this morning is actually stop being passive Christians and to take the upper hand. And I'm not telling you as immature Christians to go out and fight the battle. I'm saying it's time to get serious about what we are called to do, to be mature, to be well-grounded, to be accountable, to have unity. And in the midst of that, when the battles come, we are safe and secure and grounded in who we are on the foundation of the Word of God. And we actually start to think differently like we're called to. No matter what happens, we rise back, we fight back. Because it can be redeemed. Exodus um, 6.13. It's, uh, or Ephesians 6.13. It says that you are to confront. Confront the devil. And this is where I'm talking about bringing the fight. I'm not talking about picking a fight with the devil. Because realistically, you'll probably not win if you're doing it in the wrong terms. Unless it's centered around your focus on Jesus Christ. And grounded in the word. It's going to be a hard battle. But what I'm saying is to call things out for what they truly are. 
call things out for what they truly are. What's your trigger? We heard this a few weeks ago. What's your trigger? The devil comes subtly to destroy you, but what's your trigger? And call him out. I know this is not who I am. I know this is not who I'm destined to be. I know this is not who and what you have created me to be. We will call him out for who he is. Romans 8, 28 says that he works all things to the good for those who are called according to your purposes. It doesn't mean everything's going to be good. It means he works it for the good. And one of the translations says that he weaves it together. He weaves the bad, the good, and the ugly together to make something beautiful in your life and build a man or a woman that is ready for the battlefield. Just like Moses said, let my people go. Sometimes we are called to take a stand and to go into the enemy camp and declare, because God has told us to, let my son go. Psalm 18, uh, verse 37 and 38 says this. I chased my enemies and caught them. I did not stop until they were conquered. I struck them down so they could not get up. They fell beneath my feet. You have armed me with the strength for the battle. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. We are called to be strategic, plan, be aware, and know our identity. Because you know what? It's natural for us to want a good fight. Isn't that right? It's natural for us to want to fight back when there's injustice. It's natural for us to want to push back when something happens that we don't like. But we have to be strategic and know how to do that properly. And you know, sometimes you may think, I just want to sit this next round out, God. I've had enough. I'm done. I am completely done. And you know, Psalm 23 goes on to say, I've prepared you a meal. And I love it because I think of a big armchair. And like a dude, I don't get up and do it. I get the boys to bring me my poofy over to put my feet on. In the midst of it, he prepares a feast to refuel you, to recharge you. He knows you need a rest. But it's knowing I need to sit down at the feet of Jesus. And I need to consume and I need to recharge You know, I know I say this in the last one, but started going to the gym. No, you haven't seen it. You can't see it yet. It's getting there. Wait to Tenerife in, in a few weeks, nine, nine weeks' time. But whenever you're at the gym, I realize that you have to lift heavy weights. Now, some of the people in it, they're all over the place, and like they're lifting far too heavy, and they can't cope with it. And there's another sermon in that. But if you're doing it right, you have to lift heavy weights because you need resistance for growth. You have to have resistance for growth. And you know in the middle of, of when you're lifting those weights, you know what actually has to happen to your muscles for growth to happen? They have to rip and shred. And as they rip, that's the pings you feel and the pain you feel. When they grow back, they grow stronger and they grow bigger. And so in the midst of us, our good Father knows that we need resistance to grow in character, to grow in strength, to grow in humility. And also for us to realize that we can't do this on our own. And so the verse before, the one I just read about him chasing after his enemy, do you know what the verse before it was? Let me read to you. How did he get to that place of, I will chase my enemy? It says this, He, God, rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at my moment when I was in distress, but the Lord me. Do you know what that original word there, distress, means? I'll read it again in the original. They attacked me at a moment when I was in a meltdown. When I read that, I was like, my goodness, that's half my life. Not 
You don't see it. In my moment of meltdown, when I was at my weakest, he came. He rescued. He lifted up. Notice we're not focusing so much on the devil this morning in the ultimate fight. He lifted me up and caused, verse 37, I went out in the name of the Lord and I defeated my enemies because I knew who I was. And in a place of rest, God spoke to me in my meltdown. Do you remember the old chorus? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. I was listening to this this morning. There's nothing that he cannot do. Oh, I was in. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing that he cannot do. Sometimes we need to be reminded of who our Father is in the midst of the battle. When we depend on him, we will not quit. We build resistance. But here's the thing. We also become a threat. Because his eyes go to and fro just like the father. But only he is seeking who he can devour. You do become a threat when you get close to the father. But we do hear this about God. It says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so in the midst of the battle, he is saying you need to remind yourself that you need me and we need each other. What's the book about? Unity. We need each other for accountability and dependence, but we need to keep our eyes firmly focused on God in the midst of the battle. Because as we resist, things happen. And let me tell you a little story. We're getting there. Hope Nicola doesn't mind this, but it's one of the most powerful ones of resistance. Remember when we were going to America back in 2010? Nicola didn't want to go. Ronnie and Carolyn didn't want us to go. <laughs> they did it really. But I know now, having a daughter, what it means. But Nicola didn't want to go. And, I, and it wasn't out of a place of the wrong place spiritually. It was just the natural longings of, of your heart and the things that you'll miss. Which I probably didn't understand too well back then either. But as we followed the Lord to go there and see what he wanted, I had been praying and fasting for three months solid for Nicola. And for God to either take this away or close the door or open the door. And I remember when we landed in Cedar Rapids, after a couple of days, I had a conversation with Nicola. And in the basement of uh, Pastor Daniel's house, we had a conversation about how she was feeling. And she said, David, I just, I hate being here. I'm overwhelmed with that. Like, I'll not get too much into it, but you didn't like being there. And it was something you couldn't understand. It was clear that it wasn't a natural feeling of, of hate, really. And I just said there in that moment, you know what, Nicola? I have been fasting and praying for three months, and I am so confident that either God will close the door or he will open it, so you do not need to worry. Because we've been of a place of grounding, of fasting, of praying, and so had Nicola. And I was so confident in her and in what she'd been spent, time she'd been spent with God. And you know, I said, you know what? Whatever happens, God will make it clear. Two days later, three days later, we went out for dinner. And she asked me the question, David, well, what do you think? Are we coming here? And I said, I don't know. You tell me what God's saying to you. And she just burst into tears and chilies. And she said, we're meant to be here. And I remember that day seeing the power of the enemy and the power of God. And now you've seen what's happened. You've seen the seeds that were planted. You've seen the, the fruit that has came of that. And so in that moment, we could have said no. 
but with the confidence of God, we said yes. And so as resistance builds, there's something building up there. There's character growing. There's things that will change your life. There's stories that you'll be able to tell for the future that will inspire others to keep going. And so in the middle of this, I found that the life of a caterpillar is a great story of how to overcome. It's a great story of that redeeming through the word of God. So let me tell you the story about the caterpillar. I'm not going to bring out the caterpillar book. I think I've done that before. But there's four stages in a caterpillar's life. And it's called metamorphosis. Okay? And so the first stage is this. The first stage is a desire to go up higher. And you know, within that caterpillar, there's something within its DNA that says, I was created to fly. Can you imagine this little fat thing that crawls along the ground with loads of legs saying, I'm going to fly one day, lads. Are you kidding me? You're going to fly? Look at the state of you. There's not a chance you're going to fly. But something, that's if animals could talk, by the way. But something within that caterpillar said, I was destined to fly, I was created to fly, and I'm going to fly. There's something within it that says, I am going to regenerate into something new. And so the first stage is a desire to go higher. And as it goes higher, the second stage is a desire to create a hiding place. It starts to spin, I don't know what it is around it. Because it needs a hiding place. And in the middle of that, do you know what happens? Its hunger increases by at least four times. It is a desire to go higher. It is a desire to create a hiding place. Do you get where I'm going? It is a, an increased appetite. And do you know what happens after all that eating? Liquefaction. Do you know what liquefaction is? I remember what I said in the verse before. It literally melts down. It has a meltdown. And do you know why it has a meltdown? Because everything within that body, the actual physical body, can't cope and it explodes and it overflows. And so one of the keys to defeating the enemy is that desire to go up to a higher place. I don't mean physically, I mean with the Lord. It is to create a hiding place that is consistent where you spend time with the Father and ask for an increased hunger. And when that increased hunger happens, your body can't cope and you explode. Spiritually, you, do you know people like that? Some are a wee bit intense. Maybe you said about me. They, they explode all over you. And when you leave them, you know about Jesus. When you, know, when, you, when you leave them, you can't help but experience Jesus just like the Balamina shop. You can't help but experience Jesus when you encounter them. And seeing this this morning, I felt like the Father was saying to me, there's some people in here that you need to have a holy meltdown. Because whenever you get into that quiet place, there's going to be some stuff that comes out that you know you can no longer deal with, you can no longer have in your life, and you can no longer say yes to. And do you know what? God wants you this morning in his presence, and I'll talk, you can do it on the floor here if you want, but in your quiet place, he wants you to have a meltdown and say, Jesus, I cannot do this any longer. I've been trying to fight this battle alone. I've been trying to fight it by myself. But I need to have a meltdown before you because there's stuff in me that you know, I know you know, but I have never told you. I need to get it out there. And do you know what happens when the meltdown happens? The DNA within it, the true identity says, I'm going to rise again into something beautiful, into something new. And do you know what happens? It comes out and it has a new perspective. It goes out and it flies across and it goes, yo lads, told you it's going to be a, a butterfly. Don't do that as a Christian. It has a new perspective. But you know what happens? It could have stayed in that cocoon. It could have stayed in that quiet place. Oh, I love being fed. I love the presence of the Lord. I'm so earthly minded. I'm no, or heavenly minded. I'm so no earthly use. You ever heard that one? Don't completely agree with it, but he 
just stay in that cocoon. You can just stay in that quiet place. But we are called to give away what we have. It's our destiny to give away the transformation and talk about the transformation and share your testimony. And the devil wants you to stay in that place. He loves people getting close to the Father because if they just stay there and don't do anything with it, brilliant, love it. You're the most godly person on earth, but you're no use. You don't give any of it away. You don't practically leave it out. No one knows you're godly except God. The creature's a new creation and it has to break off its old way of thinking. Can you imagine if the new butterfly continued to live as a caterpillar? It'd be a bit strange. Continue to live with a perspective of, I can only see a few millimeters off the ground, but now I can soar like an eagle. If I continue to eat the same stuff, it's not going to work. And so this morning as well, in this battle, you need to remember the perspective and the redemptive way you need to think about life now through the word of God and through the Holy Spirit leading you. Get in there. And so this new perspective means that at times you're going to feel the sting of the devil. But what does that verse say? Death. Where is your sting? Is that right? Hell, where is your victory? Do you know what? It says this in Revelation 12, 12. Not a book that we all like to read too often, but it says this. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Just like all that free food that, that you keep getting in, it has a sell-by date. Some of the sell-by dates are a lot shorter than others. But you know what? The devil has a shelf life. He has a sell-by date. His time is running out. Do you ever, ever realize that whenever it comes to sin or, or other stuff, the devil pushes? But the Holy Spirit says, come with me. He leads. The Holy Spirit says, rest. But the enemy says, go, 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 busy, busy, busy. Do, do, do. Religious activity, wrong thoughts. Do it, do it, do it. But the Holy Spirit says, whoa, time's not running out for me, we're glad. But it's definitely running out for him. It's a godly perspective, a heavenly perspective. Rest is a weapon in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says this, the temptation in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. We are born for a battle. We are called into battle. And your battle is not against other people. It says in Ephesians 6.12, it's not against other people. He wants us fighting each other. He wants us fighting each other as Christians, as human beings, as churches. But it's against the principalities of the powers that we cannot see. But here's the key to that 1 Corinthians about the temptations. All spiritual warfare has to be centered around the sun. That's the difference between warfare and sin. Sin is centered around yourself and the devil. But warfare, stuff that you're going through, is centered around Jesus. He wants to take your eyes off Jesus. But we are called to redeem, resist, and overcome. And do you know that if you're struggling right now, struggling is a sign of life. Struggling is a sign that I am not finished yet. I am not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to continue to fight the good fight. We tried to put eye drops in Daniel the other night, and I had Gunnis. He, he overpowered me and Nicola, because he was, that's a bad parent, is it? We had to hold him down to get the eye drops out. But my Gunnis is struggling that boy, because he wanted out. If you're struggling this morning, keep struggling, because the fight is not over, and he wants you, but the Father wants you more. 
And so let's get into the practical. I'm going to go through these really quickly because according to this, I only have four minutes left. The devil opposes us because, number one, we bring pleasure to God. We bring pleasure. We're a source of pleasure and the devil is jealous. We bring pleasure. You bring pleasure. Say it into yourself. I bring pleasure to God. Revelation 4.11 says, you are worthy to receive our glory. At the end it says, he created us because he wanted us to bring him glory. Number two, he's powerless to attack God himself. Do you hear that? I've often said, you know, the devil attacks in the weakest point with me, maybe our children. What are we to him? And so the devil is powerless to attack God himself. So what does he do? He attacks those who are closest to his heart. He attacks friends and family. And so if you're interpreting this, it's actually a compliment sometimes that the devil's attacking you. Because you're close to the heart of God. Don't take that wrong either. It's not an invitation. Three, in order to prevent supernatural assistance. Does everybody know, or, or you can read it later on in Daniel 10, um, when Daniel was praying, um, I think it was three weeks later, the answer came. And the answer came in the form of an angel saying, actually, I'm only getting here because when you prayed, I, God sent the response, but the demon over uh, Persia stopped me and battled me for three weeks, and I'm here now to tell you that your prayer is answered. And sometimes we are praying about things, and what the devil wants to do is to take your eyes off Jesus. He's not going to answer you didn't answer the last time many weeks has it been now you've been praying how long have you been praying for that person to come to know Jesus Willie and Pauline talked to them about family coming to know Jesus how long they've prayed for I'm sure we have our stories but you know what it says in Daniel 10 13 he continued because he knew God responded in the past he wants to stop things coming our way that are supposed to come our way he wants to paralyze you he wants to kill your dream he wants to steal your hope. And you know, the devil, he's not very creative. He has tactics that are all these. He wants to delay. He wants to wear you out. He wants to have, uh, bring deceit, bring legalism. He wants to distract. He doesn't need to destroy you. He just needs to distract you. He wants to take the view off Jesus. And he wants to disappoint you. He wants to magnify the weaknesses in others. He wants to magnify the weaknesses in others in your eyes. He wants to offend you. And he wants to imprison you. I speak against that right now in Jesus' name. Matthew 4.11, and it's not just in the valleys. We're nearly done. It's not just in the valleys that this happens. Matthew 4.11 says the test was over and the devil left. And in this place, angels came and took care of Jesus. And so one of the devil's tactics, this is getting to know the devil, is that he'll leave you alone. There's a season for him standing back. And do you know why? Because this also tests the character. It tests your roots. Because... We've all been there. Life's going swimmingly, especially in, in the, in the uh, developed world. I, what, what do we need the Holy Spirit? What do we need Jesus for? And so as the battle is over, we need to remember to put on the full armor of God. What happens in a physical battle after is this, that they regroup, they refuel, they rest, and they renew and for us, I believe we need to do that. And in the middle of that, we need to continue to worship, to read, to, to meditate, and to declare that no weapon shall prosper. I will continue to be as hungry on the mountaintop as I am in the valley. I will continue to be as grounded in my character, in my love for Jesus, in my response 
on the mountaintop as I am in the valley. I will continue to have the same dependence on the Father on the mountaintop as I do in the valley. The word is consistency. Daniel prayed three times every day, it tells us. So when the battles came, it wasn't, my goodness, God, I need to do something. It was, I am firmly grounded. That doesn't mean anything to do. I am firmly grounded. I know who I am. I know my God. I know what he's done in the past that he can do it again. Don't worry, there's not too much more. When does he hit the hardest? Are you ready? Number one, times of physical exhaustion. It's not rocket science. If you're exhausted in here this morning, physically, spiritually, I want to pray for you afterwards. When you're physically exhausted, when you've had no sleep, sometimes you're doing too much. He's going to come in and those wee things. Number two, at a transition or a major change. You got a new job, new baby, something happened in your finances, something happened in your calling. Maybe you're moving churches, church for a few weeks. At a time of transition, be ready in the battle plans. And I don't mean to be scared, I mean be ready. Be secure in the foundations of who you are and in the word of God. Number three, the birth of a child of promise. This is about children that are destined for greatness and I believe that all our children are destined for greatness in the kingdom of God. Just think of Pharaoh, not Mero, Pharaoh, Moses, Herod, with Jesus. You know, in, in Revelation 12, 4, it says this, the dragon Satan stood in front of the woman Mary who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child at the moment of birth. And so that was what was going on in the spiritual realm, but in the physical realm, Herod was that man who was going out to consume Jesus because he doesn't know everything, but he can see the seeds that are being birthed there. And so maybe you're at a time where you've just had a child or the child's older, but you're still proclaiming that promise over them and that's where a lot of your battles are. Let me tell you, we have the privilege of cultivating and growing these little seeds into warriors, into people that actually know and understand who they are in the kingdom of God. Number four, when a specific miracle has just left the hand of God, like we just talked about with Daniel, when you're praying and praying for something and you're hanging on, he does not like seeing that. Number five, when someone is in line for promotion. So think of Joseph in prison all those years. He could have had a pity party, but instead he said that I'm going to redeem this through the word of God and through the Holy Spirit. When you realize what you're destined for. What weapons are effective? These are the things I'm saying just to write down. We're going to fly through them. To know and to speak the word of God. If you don't have the words, how can you use them? Know and speak the word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. If it's good enough for Jesus in the desert, it has to be good enough for you and me. The more you read into the word of God, it's actually so simple. Number two, your conversation should reflect the mentality of a conqueror. So let the words that you know permeate you. Proverbs 18.21 says, Words have power in matters of life and death, and those who love them will savor their fruit. Number three, you must take authority in Jesus' name. The words that you know, you must stand on them firmly as your identity. Number four, clothe yourself in the armor of God. 
And this isn't when you just need it, but like Daniel, he prayed daily. He prayed three times. You need to daily take up the armor and put it on and speak it over yourself and remind yourself what it means in your individual context. Tap into the power of prayer and fasting. Number six, draw on the wisdom of spiritual veterans. Do you know how you do that? You do it through honor. Honoring the people around you that know a little bit more than you do. Get around them. Suck whatever you can out of them wisdom. But in the middle of it, honor them and ask them questions. People who have gone before, ask them, how did you deal with this? How do you do this? Number seven, learn when to rest and not engage. Some battles are not yours. Even some battles that your spouse might go through are not your battles. Learn when to rest. And here are the forces that will enable you to do that. The first one is your testimony. Your testimony is powerful. Your testimony has the power to push back darkness. It has the power to um, say in the midst of something, if he's done it before, he can do it again. Your praise is number two. There's a song that says, um, praise is the highway to the throne of God. There's nothing more powerful in the battlefield than someone raising their hands and praising God. If you've seen little Sarah, anytime we put on worship music, she does this straight away. And I believe that's something natural within every one of us, that we are built to cry out in praise. But the problem is the center of our praise is sometimes not what we're meant to be praising. But in warfare, praise of the Father will uh, disarm the enemy. Number three is agreeing with his word. What you read in there and what it speaks over you is the truth and is the word of God. Start to agree with it and to read it and to declare it over your life. The next one, number four, is sowing seeds. We need to be generous as a people of God with our time, with our finances. Malachi, you know it, it's the only verse, Malachi 3.10, the only verse in the Bible that says, test me on this. You give in to me, into the storehouses, I will bless you back. I will fight on your behalf. Sorry, I'm going really quickly in this, but I don't want to take too much of your time. And the very last one is this, and it is the key to finishing, and it is the key to the battle, is knowing your identity. Christians always blame the devil, and non-Christians always blame God. But we were given free will and choice. A friend of mine in England, Sharon McClellan, she put this up on Facebook the other day. It says this, if you get to your destiny without your identity, you won't stay there very long. There's so many people around us or in this world or in the church that they're addicted to hyper-religious activity, but they are not addicted and they don't know the source. You can get far in your own ability, but when you know who you are, when you're grounded in that secret quiet place and transformed into that new creation, that's when you are a powerful asset in the kingdom. The devil wants us to be focused on him. He wants us to focus on ourselves. He wants us to focus on our sin. But we need to remember who we are and what we're called to carry and what we're called to give away out of the overflow. And so the problem is this. Christ is in me, but there's a lot of other nonsense in there too. Can you agree to that? He's in me, but there's a lot of other tripe in there too that sometimes I can't seem to get rid of. And sometimes... It just hits me from behind and I don't know where it came from. And you know, in identity, the devil wants us to do this. He wants us to hide our sins and not confess them. He wants us to hide the truth. 
You know, the truth is a thing that will set us free, but it's uncomfortable. But here's a revelation that I've had this week. It took me a while. That truth leads to intimacy. And it leads to intimacy of a new level. Honesty leads to intimacy, both in your physical relationships and in your spiritual relationships. <coughs> Ephesians 6.14, it says that truth, put on truth as a belt to strengthen your stand. This week, I managed to have a conversation with my mum that I've had in my head for weeks and weeks. And it was a good truth, but I couldn't even bring myself to speak a good truth to her. But see the difference in the midst of declaring that good truth to my mum that I knew I had to do? My goodness, relationship and intimacy has already increased. And so I'm urging you this morning, at the end of all this, if you forget everything, I want you to remember that honesty leads to intimacy. And as you realize that you need intimacy, that some of it is up to you, then that's when you're going to really understand who you are as a son and daughter of Christ. So let's stand up. We're going we're gonna to sing. And... Uh,